Welcome to the podcast of Trinity Church PCA in Collierville, Tennessee. We're glad you're here. For more information about our church, you can visit our website, missioncollierville.org. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with you... I am well pleased. The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness forty days, being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. You may be seated. So what a week. What a cold, icy, snowy week. If we can go back for just a moment, I remember when I first heard that it was going to snow. And I doubted it. I didn't believe it. And then I came home and I began to look at the weather app on my phone and it seemed to indicate that it was going to snow. I saw the local weather channels the local channels and the weathermen and the weather women talking about the coming snow, and I didn't believe it. In fact, Avery, my daughter, she and I have a thing where we just assume that it's not going to snow any time they say that it's going to snow. Because I get real excited about snow. The, the child in me wants to build snowmen, the child in me wants to throw snowballs and to go outside and walk around, and that means your fireplace is going, and you can watch movies. And most of all, from childhood, I remember no school. And so when I hear the word snow, I get excited. But because I've been let down so many times over the course of my life in the South, I just naturally assume when the word is mentioned, it's not going to happen. And so that's the hard position that I took this past week. It's not going to happen. Not going to happen. And then something did happen. I turned on the Weather Channel. And guess who was on the Weather Channel? Well, first, it was the chief meteorologist of the Weather Channel, and he's talking about all the right forces coming together at this one moment in the Deep South to make what? Snow. But then it gets better. Guess who came on TV? Jim Cantori. In his outfit, all ready for the cold, all ready for the wind, all ready for the ice, standing in the middle of a road somewhere in Dallas, and he said, it's going to what? Snow. And so at that moment, I knew that this was going to be a big event. So this morning, we come to Mark 9 through 15. And if you remember from reading through the text, we see the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. We see Satan and angels. And so Mark is telling us this is a really, really big event. Get ready. Get prepared. Let's pray. 
Our Lord and our God, we thank You that we can trust Your Word. We thank You that in these pages we can find Your Son, Jesus Christ, and we can have hope, and we can have life, and we can be reassured of all that You have planned for those who belong to You. Father, we need to hear Your Word every Lord's Day. We need to be reminded of Your goodness and Your graciousness of Your covenant promises. So Father, as we engage with Your Word this morning, as we read from the Gospel of Mark, encourage us, strengthen us, lift us up, come alongside us. Father, be in this place. Help us. And Lord, we praise Your Son, Jesus Christ, who gave His life for us. May this truth never leave us. May it always guide us. Father, may it always support us and make our footsteps firm. It's in His name and for His sake we pray. Amen. So last week we looked at the first part of the Gospel of Mark and I talked about the who, what, when, where, and why of this passage. And that's important. We're not going to do that every week, but I wanted to begin with these these aspects of the gospel so that as we go on into chapter 2 and chapter 3, that you have an understanding of what this gospel is all about. First of all, who? Who is the author? Well, it's John Mark. How do we know that? Because the early church fathers say with unanimity that he is the author, and this has been the consistent orthodox view of the church for nearly 2,000 years that Mark wrote this gospel. What? Well, it is his, it's Mark's account of the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. The word gospel, as you probably know, means good news. So scholars, on one hand, say that this is a similar, in essence, to a Roman bibliography in the ancient Middle East. It has parallels and have similarities. Some scholars say that it's a completely new genre, that it is about Jesus, it is about the good news of the kingdom. The important thing to understand is that the structure or the outline of this gospel follows the sermon of Peter in Acts chapter 2, verses 34 through 43. Remember, John Mark was more than likely the translator, the secretary for the Apostle Peter. So he's taking the Apostle Peter's sermon and he's using that as the structure for his gospel. Where? Who, what, when, where? Well, it was initially addressed to Christians in the city of Rome, but Mark is probably also writing this account for those beyond Rome, for all those who are Jewish and all those who are Gentile who want to know more about this carpenter from Nazareth who has risen from the dead. And then why? Who, what, when, where, why? The early Christian church in Rome is being persecuted. And it's very difficult and challenging. And so Mark is writing his gospel to them as a form of encouragement. Your persecution, your suffering, the difficulties that you are facing, they can be understood in light of the difficulties and suffering and persecution that Jesus experienced. So that's kind of gives us a basis for the gospel of Mark. And so then there's three things we're going to talk about this morning. First is a grand event of eternal consequences. Secondly, that Jesus is our rock 
And number three, that Jesus offers us a love that will never, ever let us go. First, a grand event of eternal consequences. Notice in these short verses the immediacy of of what takes place in the account of Jesus. He's here, then He's here, then He's here. Mark is trying to help you understand the significance and the importance of this. Jesus is the long-awaited Redeemer of the people of Israel. He is the hope for humanity. So in the first part of this passage, we see Jesus entering the baptismal waters. He's being baptized by John. This is Jesus' inauguration. This is Jesus becoming king. And He's about to establish the kingdom of God. He's a man on a mission. The Father has sent Him to redeem His people from sin and death. Jesus is obeying the will of His Father perfectly. He has come to identify with us in order to save us. Jesus is going through the waters for us. Mark is mentioning the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. He's mentioning the, the Trini- our Trinitarian God because He's wanting us to understand the significance and the impact of what is happening. Because of this, because of the coming of the kingdom, because of King Jesus, humanity and creation will never be the same of again. This is a passage of significance it's a, it's a passage of great importance. So, in the, if you'll remember last week, Mark opens his Gospel and he says that Jesus is the Son of God. He, he says that He is divine. But if you look in our text today, it says that He is... If we'll go back to it and look just quickly. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth, of Galilee. So Mark has already established he is the Son of God, he is the Messiah, he is divine. Now, now he says, he is from Nazareth. He's putting boots on Jesus. This is a real person with real flesh who lived among us. You can know him. He, his mother was Mary, his father was Joseph. He was born in Bethlehem. See, one of the things that we do, because we're so far removed from this time period, is we open the Gospels and we immediately think about the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Here we go. But realize that Jesus was already 30 years old when the Gospels begin. So, excuse me, when His ministry begins. So there's a life that Jesus has lived for 30 years around friends and neighbors, family members. He's worked. He's learned. He's done fun things like we did this past week playing in the snow. He really is human. So John has said He is God, but John is also saying He is like us. And this is very important because we need a God to save us. But we also need an Israelite who is perfectly faithful to the covenant. 
An Israelite who never sins, who obeys God's Word perfectly. So Mark knows exactly what he's doing when he opens up his passage. Jesus, Son of God, Son of Man. And so we see our Messiah come on the scene and He enters into those baptismal waters. He doesn't need to. He doesn't have to. John is calling Israel out to the wilderness to say, repent of your sins and be cleansed. And this water represents repentance. It washes things away. Jesus doesn't have to wash anything away. Nothing. He is the spotless Lamb. Here's what Jesus is doing. Jesus is going into the water like Israel. Remember, Israel is enslaved and persecuted in Egypt. God delivers them. He redeems them. He frees them. There's an exodus and they go through what? The sea. But Israel goes into the wilderness and Israel sins and Israel disobeys the covenant and Israel falls. Israel's imperfect, just like us. Then Israel goes into the promised land and they cross the Jordan River. Again, a new exodus. But they enter the promised land and they turn their hearts to other gods and they disobey the Word of God and they are not covenantly faithful to God. They fail. And so Jesus is entering the river. He's entering into the waters. He is the one true Israelite and He is going to lead His people in a new exodus. And what happens when Jesus enters those waters? Well, we see that the Father professes His love for Him and we see the divine King come up out of the water and the sky opens so that the Spirit can descend upon Him his own personal Pentecost, a Pentecost that the church will experience later. But in order to understand the significance of Jesus rising out of the water and the Spirit descending, you have to be familiar with the Old Testament. And here's, here's why. Israel has failed. Israel has sinned against God. Israel is broken. They are suffering. They are feeling the weight of their sin, their covenant unfaithfulness. And God raises up a prophet named Isaiah. And Isaiah points them to their sin and their idolatry, but Isaiah also speaks a word of hope. And Isaiah speaks of a coming Messiah. And in chapter 64, verse 1, Isaiah, it's beautiful imagery, Isaiah pleads with God to rip the skies open and to come rescue your people. Lord, this is horrible. Do something. Tear open the sky, descend to earth, and save us. And so Mark is using that language in this passage. When Jesus comes up out of the river, He's saying, look, look, God has ripped the sky open. He has come for His people. You have not been forgotten. We have not been forgotten. You see, when we come to this passage, we shouldn't read it as history, although it is history, although it is true. We read this and we remember that our God has not forgotten us, that in our sin and in the difficulties of life that we face every single day, God has come in Jesus Christ. He has ripped the sky open for His people. 
And then secondly, the Old Testament said over and over again that the coming of Israel's king would be accompanied by the fullness of the Spirit. Now the Spirit existed in the Holy... Excuse me, the Spirit existed in the Old Testament. But with the coming of Jesus and the kingdom of God, the Spirit comes in a way that has never come before. And so that's important to understand as we look at the baptism of Jesus. It was an unbelievable event. A grand event. All orchestrated to redeem His people. God loves His people. Secondly, Jesus is our rock. After the baptism, Jesus immediately goes where? He goes to the desert. We've already seen there's a sense of an urgency to His mission. Mark is telling us that this is important. We are reminded of Israel in this desert journey. On their way to the promised land, remember, Israel goes into the wilderness. And what happened there? They were tempted, and they what? They failed. In the, in the wilderness, God's people sin. In the wilderness, God's people turn to other gods. In the wilderness, they fail to keep His Word. They fail to obey His Word. Despite God's efforts to call them to repentance over and over again, they pursue their own selfish ambition. So here again, we see Jesus, the perfect Israelite. We see that His heart, unlike ours, is aligned with God's perfect will and plan. Jesus goes into the wilderness. Jesus goes into the wilderness as the Messiah. He goes into the wilderness as King. He goes there like us because He's human, but He does not fail. We fail. He doesn't. Jesus is tempted by Satan and, and He stands true. He obeys the covenant perfectly. He obeys God's Word perfectly. He follows God's will perfectly. That is why we so desperately need Jesus. Because if I go out into the wilderness, I'm failing. Look, I can go out to my front yard and fail. It doesn't have to be the wilderness, but I'm going to fail over and over again. I need a Savior who's been there, done that. But there's something else I want you to see in this text. Notice that Mark mentions in verse 13, wild animals. Wild animals. Why, why does he say that? Well, clearly, wild animals exist in the desert. They exist in the wilderness. Absolutely. But that is a reference to the garden. Mark is taking us back to the Garden of Eden. And he's saying, hey, you remember how Israel failed in the wilderness? Let's think back to our parents, Adam and Eve. And you know what? They weren't in the wilderness. Where were they? They were in the garden. And what was the garden like? It was perfect. And whose presence was in the garden? God. And were the animals wild in the garden? No. They were under the obedience and control of Adam because sin had not entered 
into this world. So here's Adam in the garden, our father, with the animals under his full control, and what does he do? He sins. He disobeys the Word of God. He is unfaithful to the covenant. And so Mark is showing us the enormity of humanity's fall. That we are sinful through and through. Israel is sinful in the wilderness. Adam was sinful in the garden. But not Jesus. He is perfect. He does not fail. He is a rock. He is a rock that we need to stand upon because He cannot be moved. So this week, I had broken the little red flag on our mailbox. And I had a lot of mail that needed to go out. So I made a note for my mailman so he would know that the mail in the mailbox needs to be taken because my flag is broken. So I get to my mailbox. I thought I could just get out there real quick and get back. And I hit a patch of ice and I fell so hard. I busted. Feet up in the air, landed on my back. I thought I had broken my elbow. I hustled back inside preparing Vicky that I'm going to have to go to the doctor. Turns out I was okay. Then last night, and this is probably more important, to be honest, than my health. We're grilling steaks last night. And I have all the steaks on a platter. And I turn from the grill and I hit a patch of ice. And the only thing I can think about is these steaks are more important than me. They cannot hit the ground. And so somehow I managed to fall and still hold the platter up and keep the stakes from hitting the ground and being ruined and John, keeping John Hunter happy because he loves his steak. Okay? Here's the thing. We're not used to living in ice and snow. We're not good at it. I fell twice and I only went outside probably five times. I was at CVS yesterday and I watched a man slide all the way across the parking lot and then fall down. I went to help him. He laughed. He got up. He was okay. We're not used to this. We're not used to icy, snowy conditions. It helps us understand what it means for our ability to stand firm to be fragile. It helps us understand what it means that sometimes standing up can be difficult and challenging. We need firm, dry ground. We need a safe place to stand. We need the ice removed. We need the snow removed. We need it salted. We need it dry. And so when we come to this passage and we see what Jesus does for us and what Jesus does in the wilderness, we see that He is a firm place to stand. The Psalms says that God is our rock. Jesus is our rock. I want you to also think about this. In this passage, we see that Jesus is ministered to by the angels. He is not left alone in the wilderness. That's significant 
and should remind us of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. God the Father ministers to His Son Jesus through the, through the angels. And God ministers to us through the work of the Holy Spirit. In some sense, we live in the wilderness. This is a fallen world. This is a broken world. This world suffers under the weight of sin. It's hard. It's not easy. It's not easy being a parent. It's not easy being a husband or a wife, a businessman, a businesswoman. It's just challenging in this sin-filled world. We need to remember as the angels ministered to Jesus that the Holy Spirit ministers to us in the wilderness in which we live. We can call out to the Holy Spirit in prayer. We can rely on the Holy Spirit. He is our comforter. He is our deliverer. He is our helper. The ministry of Jesus is here for us in this age, and we should never doubt that. So whatever you're dealing with, whatever you're facing, whatever you're struggling with, know that your God has not forgotten you. He has ripped the sky open for you and His Spirit is ministering to you day in and day out. And that should encourage our souls. And then also this. The Israelites disobeyed God in the wilderness. We will too. We have and we will. We are sinful people. You are going to disobey the Word of God. You are going to stray from Him. We're not perfect people. We are sinners in need of grace. Hear that again. We are sinners in need of grace. So because Jesus stood firm in the wilderness, because He is the rock, our sins are forgiven. That when we fall, that when we sin, that when we disobey, when we don't live up to the expectations of our God and our King, remember that Jesus has done it for you. And look to Him. Let His blood cover over your sin as the snow covered over everything this week for us. That is who Jesus is. He is a gracious and loving Son of Man and Son of God. And He does that for His children, and we should rejoice. Third thing, the duality of the Gospel, the fourfold nature of the Gospel. So as I said earlier, I'm going to Jackson to do the funeral today for my mentor in ministry, Bill Whitwer, and I want to tell you a quick story about something that, that took place one day when I was working under him. We got a call to visit a lady in the hospital. Her mother was dying. The person who called said that he wasn't sure his pastor had time, which that alone was unbelievable, um, but that Bill was probably the most equipped a person that he knew to share the gospel with someone. But not the person who was dying. He, he wanted Bill to share the gospel with her daughter who was there in the room. And so we go, and, and Bill does a masterful job at, at presenting the gospel to her. And we leave, and we're standing in the parking lot of the hospital. And I said, Bill, 
Why did you do that? Because there's no way that this woman in a coma could understand you. And this is when it always helps to serve under someone who's older and wiser and has years of ministry experience. He looked at me and he said, first of all, never doubt what the Holy Spirit can do. Secondly, I wanted the opportunity to share the Gospel with her daughter and granddaughter because I don't know where they stand. I don't know what they believe. And I want them to hear about how great Jesus is and about how loving Jesus is and about how Jesus can change everything. And then he looked at me and he said, and Hunter, sometimes it's good to just say the good news to others because I need to hear it. Telling others about Jesus strengthens my soul. It reminds me of what He has done for me and how He has loved me and how He has saved me and how He has pursued me and how He is making all things new. Sometimes I say it because I simply need to hear it. Lesson learned. So there's, there's a fourfold nature to the Gospel that we see in verses 14 through 15. We see that Jesus goes into Galilee, He's preaching about the kingdom of God, and He says that we are to repent. So entrance into the kingdom of God involves a turning around. It means we no longer cling to our sinful past. It means that we express to God a true sorrow for the sins that we have committed. The sins that we have committed against Him and the sins that we have committed against those around us. The sins that we are aware of and the sins that more than likely we are not aware of. We are to repent. This is a quote by John Calvin. And for the record, let it be known, a hundred years from now, the first quote in a sermon at Trinity Church PCA was John Calvin. I think I'm doing this correctly. He says, Repentance is not merely the start of the Christian life. It is the Christian life. That a repentful spirit is what it means to be a follower of of King Jesus. So we are to repent. We are to believe. We are to place our faith in the fact that He is our Redeemer, our Savior, our Lord, our resurrected King. He has been raised from the dead. He has given for His life for us. He lived on this earth. He is the Son of God. He is the Son of Man. This is all true. And we believe it and profess it from the depths of our heart. We are to repent and we are to believe. That's one and two. Here's number three. The fourfold nature of the Gospel. It is for unbelievers. Jesus has now left the wilderness and He is in Galilee and He is calling unbelievers to faith. He is telling Israel, I am the one true Israelite. I am the one who will obey God's will perfectly. I am the one who will take you captive and ransom you and redeem you. Through repentance and belief, you can enter into the kingdom of God. That is what Jesus is doing in Galilee. He's telling unbelievers that the gospel is for them. 
the good news of the kingdom is for them. So we repent, we believe, we proclaim the gospel to, to others. And then number four, we proclaim it to ourselves Every day. As Bill instructed me in the parking lot of a hospital in Gadsden, Alabama, I need the gospel every single day. We need to talk to others, but we need to tell ourselves that Jesus is the great physician and He provides the medicine that can cure what ails our soul. Jesus is the only water that can quench our spiritual thirst. Jesus is the bread of life that will fill us when we are so hungry. He, he's the only thing that matters in this life. Because without Him, this life makes no sense whatsoever. Hear this, Trinity. Jesus is the one who went into the waters for us. Jesus is the one who went into the wilderness to lead us safely home. He's the one that went to the cross to give His life for us. He went to the tomb to conquer death. And He went to heaven to send us His Spirit. This is the Gospel. It is a love that will never let us go. Ever. Take that to heart. Let's pray. Our Father in God, we thank You for our King Jesus who is right and perfect and true. A Redeemer who has rescued us and who has delivered us and who is delivering us. A King who has conquered death. A King who will return victoriously. We thank You for this good news that belongs to Your people. Lord, may we actively share that news with others and may we daily remind us, remind ourselves of our right standing in Your Son, our older brother. Father, we rejoice in Him. He is the one that makes our footsteps firm day in and day out. And it is in His name and for His sake that we pray. Amen.